The entire Bible, you know this, we said it last week, the entire Bible points to Jesus. From page one all the way to the very end. The whole thing points to him. Today what I want to show you is I want to show you an Old Testament story that you're probably familiar with. It's a story of a future king and this really tall guy. Does this sound familiar? But I want to show you how it points to Jesus in a really cool and surprising way that you might not be aware of. And I'm pretty confident that you're never going to see this story the same way again. Before we do that, though, we need a little context. So if you'll hang with me today, what we're going to do is we're going to start in the very end. We're going to travel through time all the way back to the very beginning. And then we're going to tell this story of a king and a giant that lands smack dab in the middle. So we're going to pretty much read the whole Bible today. You guys have time? You good? No plans this afternoon. We're going to read a lot of scripture, but I promise uh, it's all connected. Um, So let's pray and then we'll get started. Father, we are uh, just so grateful that you call us, your family, your church together. Um, You call us together regularly to worship, to remember, to celebrate, to equip one another, to go out into the world. And as we go out into the world, you call us each in our own way. Sometimes on our own, sometimes together, but you call us to be the church where we are. So we pray that this morning that you would do the equipping, that you would empower us, that you would remind us of the scope of this story that you invite us to be a part of, that you'd help us to see the problem, understand the solution, and find our part in it. So as always, as the gospel is read and proclaimed, we pray that you'd open our minds, our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we could truly receive it, that it would transform us from the inside out so that without even meaning to, by the way we live in the world, our hands, our feet, our mouths, that we would be proclaimers of that good news. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen. amen. So uh, first, like I said, beginning with the end, I wanna to read to you from Revelation 12. Uh, if you were here a couple of years ago, we spent an entire year in this letter in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, and Noah, don't put the slide up quite yet. Um, I shared with you when we did that, I shared with you a phrase that came from one of my professors. Uh, he's a scholar in the New Testament and in Revelation in particular. And he has this phrase, I wanna see if you remember it. Revelation doesn't mean what it says. It means what it means. Yeah, you throw it out there. Revelation doesn't mean what it says. It means what it means. It's an odd way of saying something really simple. It's a particular kind of literature that uses fantastic, dramatic images. And these images are representative of something else. They're symbols and they're symbolic of larger truths, truths that are larger than just the image itself. So let me show you. This is from Revelation 12. Let's start in verse one. It says, a great sign appeared in heaven. Hmm. I wonder how we might know that what we're about to see is a symbol. Did the author put a clue in the first couple of words? Say it. There's a sign. He's telling us. (laughs) I'm about to show you a symbol. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was pregnant and she cried out being in labor and in pain to give birth. So the writer of this letter, we believe uh, the Apostle John, uh, this woman that he saw, that he's describing to us, he tells us she is a symbol. She's a sign of a deeper truth. And he tells us that she's a woman clothed in the sun. She's got the moon at her feet. 
the 12 stars. Clearly, this is symbolic. The question is, what is it symbolic of? What is she assigned for? Who is this woman? I heard a couple of you whisper two different answers, and you're both right. So uh, some say she's Israel. She's the people of God who will deliver the Messiah into the world, the 12 stars, the 12 tribes. Some say that she's Mary, the mother of Jesus, who literally delivered the Savior into the world. And yeah, the answer is yes. Yes, this is a sign for both. This woman is Israel. This woman is Mary. But those 12 stars around her head don't just symbolize the 12 tribes. They also symbolize the 12 disciples. This woman is also the church. She is us. She represents the people of God throughout history. Goes on to say this. Then another sign appeared in heaven. Red flag. And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and on his head were seven crowns. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth, he might devour the child. Y'all, when all is said and done, when all of this comes to an end, do you think that we're looking in the sky and seeing a great red dragon coming after us? (laughs) Somebody at 9.30 said, maybe. (laughs) Fair enough, we don't know, right? But but I don't think that's what the text is trying to say. It says that the dragon is another sign and it's pointing us to a larger truth. It represents all evil in all of its forms in and throughout the world. Verse nine later on is gonna say it's Satan and that Satan is hell bent on attacking and destroying everything God loves. So the woman is a sign. The dragon is a sign. But listen to this. There's a word missing from this next verse. She gave birth to a son, a male, who was going to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. What word is missing from, those, from that verse? Yeah, this is no sign. This is not symbolic. This is not representative. This is a child being born into the world. This woman, she, she symbolizes the people of God throughout history as we are under attack. It's through God's people that a savior is born into the world, beginning with promises made that a Messiah would be given to the people of Israel. Then 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born through the mother Mary, today Jesus is born into the world, into the lives of non-believers through us as the Holy Spirit witnesses through us, through our words, through our living obedience to Jesus. And y'all, this whole time throughout history, This whole time that dragon has been there, crouching, scheming, evil, just waiting to attack, waiting to devour the child, to devour our good news, to try to thwart God's work of reclaiming and redeeming his children. What I love about Revelation 12, it's the the physical center of the letter. It's also the theological center of the letter. It's the point of the letter. It's also a summary of all human history. It's also a description of a cosmic battle that we find ourselves caught in the middle of. And do you know what else Revelation 12 is? It's the Christmas story in all of its fullness. Do you know the song that's sung in Revelation 11 just before this? It's the Hallelujah Chorus. Revelation 12 is the Christmas story, but it's the Christmas story in all of its fullness the birth of the Messiah, the reason for his birth and the result of his birth. 
It's the story of that mighty God that Isaiah talked about who has come to finally defeat the one who's terrorizing and attacking God's children and to defeat him once and for all. Now, this is how the story ends. Evil will be defeated. I don't know what you're going through today, but whatever you're suffering today, it will come to an end once and for all. But as always, if we're gonna understand anything going on in scripture, especially if we're gonna understand how it ends, where do we have to go? We gotta go back to the beginning. We gotta see how the story begins. And we know that in the beginning, there was only God, Father, Spirit, and Son, until God spoke. And when he did, all creation came into being. And in the middle of creation, for some strange reason, I don't know why he did it this way, I wouldn't have done it this way, for some strange reason, he put these two people, these image bearers, this male and this female, these humans, he put them in that creation and he gave them a command to rule over it. He gave them a privilege of being just and righteous rulers over everything he had just made. He gave them a couple commands. He told them to be fruitful and multiply. Y'all know that's the first command of scripture, to be fruitful and multiply. I don't know about you, it's not a bad command. <laughs> but he gave them another command. He said, watch what you eat. So this comes from Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and tend it. The Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. And y'all, by the time we get to page three, by the time we turn the page, everything goes sideways. Remember in Revelation 12, we had a dragon. Listen to this from Genesis three. Now the serpent said to the woman, has God really said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree in the middle of garden, God has said, you shall eat from it. You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Did God say don't touch it? No, so some of that evil might not just be coming from Satan. It might be coming from inside. So the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die for God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. And y'all, we know the result of that story, right? Just dire consequences for all creation, like for all history, until God does something about it, until God moves. Like we know the choice they made and we reenact that choice every day. There were consequences for the man and the woman, there are consequences for us today. But what I want you to notice this morning, I want you to notice the consequences that God laid out for this serpent, this beast this deceiver, accuser, this liar, this embodiment of evil, the symbol of everything that stands in opposition to God. Listen to what God said. God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the livestock, more than any animal of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring and her descendant. And he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Revelation intentionally uses clearly symbolic language. Genesis is complicated. Some people believe this is literal exactly as it took place. Some people believe this also is symbolic language. Revelation 12 uses that symbolic language to tell us the dragon is waiting to devour the child as soon as he's delivered from the mother's womb. Genesis 3, it tells us the heart of the story. It tells us why. 
It tells us that dragon is waiting to devour the child because it knows. It knows that when that child is born, he's done. It knows that defeat is coming. Evil knows that that time is coming soon. His time's almost up. This is how Revelation 12 ends. It says, when the dragon saw that he was thrown into the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. The dragon was enraged with the woman, went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. That dragon, Satan himself, y'all, he's failed and he knows it. Ultimately, he's a failure. He cannot win and he knows it. He's also a coward. Evil is a coward because it's unable to take the fight directly to Jesus itself. So instead, what does it do? goes after his children, goes after the ones that he loves, died to save for, it goes after the vulnerable just to try to get back at God, lashing out like a toddler, just like throwing a tantrum, trying to do the best it can just to tear everything apart. It's honestly kind of silly and pathetic when you think about it. The power that created the universe that gave that dragon any authority at all that thinks it can stand, it's kind of pathetic. The problem is it it does have real consequences for us today. Like sadly, because evil is lashing out, there are consequences for us today and there's, there's really not a lot that we can do about it on our own. Like what we need is a savior. What we need is somebody who can step into time and space and save us from the damage and destruction that's being caused by this terrified but terrible dragon. Evil in all of its forms. What we need is someone with the kind of power that can put an end to evil for good. And the great surprise in scripture is that that savior has come and it's come in the form of a child. The great surprise in scripture is that salvation, that deliverance from evil, from death comes in the form of sacrifice and redemption, crucifixion and resurrection. And y'all, I'm telling you, this is the story. It's the only story. This is the truth being proclaimed throughout the Bible from cover to cover. It explains to us the reality of evil, what we face each and every day. It tells us of God's powerful, creative, dynamic solution. This child who comes into the world with the power and authority to save all creation from evil and from the games it plays. And that makes the dragon really mad. It makes Satan really mad. Evil still wreaks havoc in the world. Y'all, we're 2,000 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus and things are still a mess. Evil still wreaks havoc in the world because the dragon is really, really mad. And he's mad because he knows he's already lost. And like, you need to know, this is a profound truth and I think it, we should reflect on it and it should impact the way we live our lives each and every day. Like the suffering that Israel has faced historically and today, the suffering of the church, the suffering of every individual follower of Jesus, y'all, the suffering in this world, it is not a sign of Satan's victory. It's a sign that he knows he's already lost and he's lashing out. And he's angry because he knows he's been beaten by a child. So Revelation uses really symbolic language. Genesis is complicated. But let me show you a story from history. This comes from 1 Samuel. This is a historic story that happened in the life of Israel. It's a story from the Old Testament that I think captures this truth in this really interesting way. Uh, most of you are familiar with it. I'm pretty sure 
You'll never see it in the same way again though. And I wanna read it uh, from the Jesus Storybook Bible. The story is really long. Um, so the way she writes this, it summarizes uh, this really long story really well. It goes like this, Goliath, he was a terrifying soldier. But worst of all, he was a giant. He was a giant so strong and so tall and so scary that no one had ever been able to fight him. At least no one was able to fight him and live to tell about it. So there they were, the battle was set. The Philistines, Goliath's people, they were standing on top of one hill. God's people standing on top of the other. And every day Goliath came out and he shouted. He said, send your best soldier to fight me. If he wins, we'll be your slaves. But if I win, you'll be ours. He shouted that day after day, but nobody spoke. The Israelites didn't move. Goliath's beady, greedy eyes were just glowering at them hungrily from under his horrible helmet. He laughs his terrible laugh. It booms, echoing horribly around the dry valley. But what he didn't know as he was laughing was that God was about to do something. He was about to send somebody to save them. There was a boy named David. He was just a boy at the time. He was the youngest son of Jesse. His brothers were soldiers in Israel's army. One day, David was bringing lunch to his brothers. And David saw Goliath. And he looked around and he saw how scared everybody was. He said, don't be afraid. I'll fight him for you. The king said, you're just a shepherd boy. Goliath is a great soldier. How are you gonna fight him? David said, God will help me. So the king gave David his royal armor to wear, but it was so heavy, it was so big, it was covered in scales. David couldn't even walk in it. He said, I don't need this. Instead, he went down to a stream and he picked out five smooth stones. One, two, three, four, five. He took his stones, he took his slingshot, and he started walking toward Goliath. Goliath starts walking toward David. You... He peers down at the boy and Goliath just keeps laughing. With just one swing of his sword, Goliath could have finished David off. But David said, it's not how strong you are or how many swords or how many spears you have that's gonna save you. It's, it's God who saves you. This is God's battle and God always wins his battles. And I believe I'm on God's side. So David put his stone in his sling Swung it around, let it go. That little stone flew like a bullet through the air. It struck Goliath right between the eyes. Goliath stopped laughing, stumbled, staggered, and he fell to the ground, dead. And when the Philistines saw that Goliath was dead, they ran away. When God's people saw that Goliath was dead and when they saw the Philistines run away, they cheered because God had saved his people through this child. Now, that is a really good retelling of this story. But she leaves out a couple really important details. The first one, she shows it to us, but she never actually says it. Look at this picture of Goliath's armor. When you look at his chest, what does his armor look like to you? Scales. Y'all, that's accurate. That's exactly as scripture describes it. Covered in scales like a reptile, it says. Scripture tells us that God wore, that Goliath wore armor covered in scales like a reptile, covered in armor made of bronze. 
He carried weapons made of bronze, a helmet made of bronze, 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 bronze. When you read the story in 1 Samuel 17, that word comes up over and over. As far as I can tell in the Hebrew text, that word bronze is used 17 times to describe something about Goliath's getup. I hope that you know by now, when you see a word repeated over and over in scripture, what should you do? You pay close attention. And when you pay attention to this word, yes, this is so cool. When you pay attention to this word, this is what you find. This is the word bronze in Hebrew. Nakash. You say it? Uh, you notice Hebrew only has consonants. There's no vowels in Hebrew. Um, so this word is just three consonants. You see them up top. We know how to pronounce it because rabbis put in points and markers to make the vowel sounds. Uh, this word, if I were to spell it out, like if I were to transliterate it into English letters, it would look like this. It's like N-C-H-S-H, nakash. That's how you say it. This is the Hebrew word for serpent. Nechesh. It's the same word. Just a different pronunciation. Goliath is wearing armor covered in scales. Armor and weapons made of nakash, bronze, he is an image of the Nehesh, the serpent. Goliath is presented in this story as a soldier fighting for the dragon and he has come to devour God's people. A man dressed like a serpent and a child stands to fight against him on behalf of God's people. Is that interesting? I think it is. I didn't know this until just a couple weeks ago. Blew my mind. But there's another detail that the storybook Bible leaves out. And I understand why. It's a children's Bible, okay? But it's actually a very important detail. Uh, David kills Goliath with one stone. First Samuel 17 says this. The stone penetrated his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and the stone. He struck the Philistine and killed him and there was no sword in David's hand, making it very clear Goliath was killed by the stone. The beast has been defeated, he's dead. But it goes on to say this. Then David ran stood over the Philistine, took his sword out and drew it from its sheath and finished him and cut off his head with it. Goliath was already dead. Why did he cut off his head? Because you have to crush the serpent's head. Now, most people believe that David was between 13 and 15 years old when this happened. The child crushes the serpent's head. Like I'm telling you, every story points to Jesus. If you don't see it yet, it's on you. Keep reading, <laughs> keep looking. Like David was not the savior. Okay, Jennifer and I, we've been watching The Crown. Have y'all watched The Crown? Like we just started watching it. Uh, there was a scene in one of the early episodes where there's like three queens alive at the same time of different status, right? And somebody says, I'm looking for the queen. And they say, which queen? The queen, the queen, or the queen? <laughs> He's not the savior. David didn't destroy evil once and for all. But in that moment, he was a savior. In that moment, he cut off the head of the evil one who was there to devour God's people. And the storybook Bible ends this story like this. This is many years later, God would send his people, another young hero to fight for them and to save them. But this hero would fight the greatest battle the world has ever known. Y'all, this historic story of David, it points us forward. Another story that inches us closer and closer to the one who's gonna defeat the dragon for good, this Messiah from the line of David, 
a Messiah who will win the final victory, restore God's people, establish a kingdom where he will reign forever and ever. But this is not just a man after God's own heart. This child, Jesus, the Christ, this is both God and man. A child will be born to us, a son given to us. The government rests on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God. He is a mighty God. All right, so quickly, so what? I've basically read the entire Bible to you today. I told you I would. Now, what are we gonna do with it? How will what you have heard today, how will it change not just the way you read David and Goliath, but how will it change the way you live when you leave? How will it change what you do as you go about your life? And I really struggled with this. I finished this yesterday and I mean, it was fine. And then we had this event here last night and we were all here uh, really late. And when I got home, I kept wrestling with it, but I was like, That's, it's not right. That's not what it's supposed to be. So it wasn't until this morning that when I came into the office, like it just became obvious. I think it's the so what from all of this is simple and it's obvious. Every story points to Jesus, including yours. Like the people in the Bible, they weren't so special. They weren't more special than you that they got to be in the Bible. They just, they just got to be in the Bible. But they're just a bunch of fools and sinners like all of us. Every story points to Jesus, including yours. Like every person here right now is fighting some giant just like David did. And look, David defeated Goliath, yes, but y'all, he goes on to fight many more battles. David ends up having to fight against his own sons just to keep his throne. David will fight battles until the end of his life. Israel has many more giants to face over the years. Israel continues to face giant after giant as God's people, his church, the woman today birthing the gospel into the world, so do we. We face giant after giant. So look, I don't know what you're up against. I don't know what you brought in here today. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's financial trouble. I don't know what it is. And the truth is, maybe some of it's your fault. I don't know. Evil comes from outside of us, but it also comes from within. The point is that whatever it is, it's not of God. And it's hell-bent on separating you from God. It's crouching. It's sitting there waiting to devour you. Hell-bent on hurting God the only way evil can hurt God by going after the vulnerable ones that he loves. Y'all, this dragon shows up in so many different forms. Unfortunately, on our own, there's just not much we can do to stop it. But you know the good news. You know that you're not alone. You're not on your own. The child has won. If you are in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have his spirit now living in, working through you. You have the family of God. You have his church. All of us fight in our own battles. But standing together shoulder to shoulder through it all, fighting these giants together. So let the story of this child, let it be an inspiration to you. Like be brave. It's hard, but be brave. The Lord is ready to fight for you. He will ultimately be the one who wins the battle. Now he may not fight or win it the way you want him to and he may not do it on your time. And he may not fight and ultimately win the battle on this side of the grave, it might be on the other. But he will fight and he will do the battle for you and God always wins his battles. So be brave. Let the bravery of that young boy inspire you. 
Tammy shared something with us at our staff meeting the other day. Tammy in our choir, she's helping to lead the choir now. Uh, she shared something with us that I had never heard before and it's, it's utterly fantastic. <laughs> it's a really small detail in David's story. Uh, you remember how many smooth stones he got from the stream? Five? How many stones did he use to kill Goliath? So why did he grab five stones? I had a member at 9.30 who was in the military. He said, because you can never take enough ammo. <laughs> Like, fair enough. At this point in his life, David's a shepherd. He's not a soldier. He's not thinking that way. He's going to face a giant. You think he's worried he's going to miss? You stand there and sling a stone at the giant and you miss. What's going to happen next? In the time it takes you to put the next stone in the sling, what's going to happen next, right? So some would say he did it to be prepared. I just don't think so. I am now convinced, thanks to, Cam, to Tammy and to a bit of research I did just to make sure... <laughs> David grabbed five stones because Goliath had four brothers. He either had four brothers or he had one brother and three sons. It's not totally clear, but what we do know from 2 Samuel 21 is that there were five giants among the Philistines. There were five giants. That kid was ready. <laughs> Later on, when David rules as king, each of those giants is defeated one by one. Y'all sense the death and resurrection of Jesus. We don't have to fight these giants with stones and swords. We now fight with the truth, with faith, with hope, with love. Jesus ultimately fought the battle through sacrificial love. He won the war, defeating death and walking out of the tomb. What can the world do to us? So be brave, be prepared, be equipped for the battle. Trust God to fight for you just as he fought for David and for all of Israel. And let your life be a testimony to the ways that God is fighting for us. May our life together as a church be a testimony to the way that God is fighting for us. Remember, it's, it isn't how strong you are or how many swords and spears you have that's gonna save you. It's God who saved you. This is God's battle. God always wins his battles. Are we on his side? Let's pray. Father, I'm just, I'm consistently blown away um, by the ways we open up the scriptures and we turn it just a little bit and we see something we've never seen before. The ways that you take these familiar stories and it's almost like they're hidden until they're not. And when we see it in a new way, when it comes to light, it's just beautiful. We're grateful for it. So Father, we pray today that you would just give us, give us that courage of David. Give us the strength to fight those battles. Remind us of the truth that yes, evil seems to be having its way because it's just throwing a fit and it's trying to take us down with it. But you have won. And whether that victory comes for us on this side of the grave or the other, you have defeated death and you have won. And that's all that matters. That is the core of what we believe. If the resurrection is true, then you are who you say you are and you deserve every part of our lives. So give us the faith, the wisdom to see the truth, the courage to follow it. 
We pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.